Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. So um, we've been, as a church, still going through the Bible together, and I think it's about a three-year process, and so now we're currently in 2 Samuel, and we've been diving into King David's life for the uh, past couple weeks, and so last week we talked about living and loving kindness, and that sounds like a good, fun thing, right? Yeah, it's all about love and kindness, but today is something a little more intense, and so to really, I'm, I'm praying that we're all honest with ourselves and where we're at with God, where we're at in our lives, so that he can help us. And if there's things, if we're dealing with, because the title of the sermon is Secret Sin, and it's already up there, awesome. And so to ask God to illuminate those areas in your life, if there are some, unless you're perfect and don't struggle with sin anymore, because that's really cool. But if there are those things in your life that God would illuminate that for you. So it's very apparent that we be real with each other and be honest with yourselves. So in saying that, turn with me please to 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting from verse 1. And it will be on the Sky Bible, if you don't have a normal Bible. And we'll read from verse 1 through to verse 5. When you're there, say amen. All right, that was really fast. Okay, I'm going to start reading. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. Can you look at your neighbor and say, uh-oh? Do you see where this is going? Verse 3, And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. Not a good situation David can find himself in right now. And for most of us, we can easily be held captive by sin. And this is David in this moment, and for a lot of us, it's, it's in our own lives. But first off, what is sin? That word is thrown around loosely a lot of times, maybe even in our culture and churches. But honestly, sin is anything outside of God's perfect character and his nature and his commandments. It's anything outside of God's holiness. And so when we sin, when we commit a sin, it completely segregates ourselves from God in that moment. You're choosing to completely be disobedient to God. And so sin came in our world, we learned in Genesis, and we started that months ago, um, close to a year now almost, that when Adam and Eve sinned, when they disobeyed God, that because of that now we live in a world where sin and evil and corruption just abound in our everyday lives, through our lives, through our thoughts, in situations, culture. We see things that happen, wickedness, and we're like, man, this is terrible. Like, Well, that's because of the fall of man. That's what the consequence was. But personally... Instead of just looking at the abroad, like, okay, I see their sin, that's not good, that person's bad. How do we know if we are sinning? 
How do, as Christians, we know if we are struggling with sin in our lives? Well, there's a really good verse that talks about that, and it's James chapter 4, verse 17. It'll be thrown out there, yep. It says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That makes it really personal, right? Because we all have these different convictions in our own lives. Like, for instance, for me, I don't drink. I do not touch alcohol. I am personally convicted. Does the Bible say you can drink? Yeah, it says. It says don't get drunk, but that's a freedom you have if you're not convicted. The Holy Spirit's not convicting you on it. For me, because of my old lifestyle of being addicted to alcohol and being a drug addict and everything else, I just, for me, it's best that the Holy Spirit's like, you just stay away from it. You have zero self-control in that area. Don't touch it. So that's something for me. For other people, it could be like, I think it's completely wrong to have tattoos, right? Obviously, I don't. I have tattoos. But we all have these different convictions in our lives. And so really to make sure you are not sinning against God personally, if it is something that you know you're not supposed to do, don't do it because that's how you fall into the trap of sin. Amen. Amen. And we see David in this moment. We look at him back when, when we first started looking at him as a teenager and young boy, he's filled with God's spirit early on. He's anointed as king. And, and so in this moment, it's not that God's left him. He still serves God, but he's still able to sin. So just because we're Christians doesn't mean now we're completely immune to sinning. That's still a thing that happens, right? Is anyone without sin here? That was a trick question. Good for not raising your hand. That was awesome. (laughs) But with David, we saw earlier on that he's running for his life, and he's asking for, for mercy from God. He's seeing God. You can read through the Psalms, and it's elegant. He's like, God, help me. They're coming against me. They're trying to kill me. And you see him almost like really suffering. But this isn't that David anymore. This David isn't running for his life anymore. He's in a palace. All his enemies are being thrown under his feet because God is giving him victory. And because of that, he is really comfortable. He has become really, really comfortable. And this is where we as Christians can get into a lot of trouble because we get relaxed in our relationship with God. That's something that's very easy to do. Even reading the word, maybe when you first got saved, you're just diving in and you just read chunks of scripture. Like, I got to know. I want to know who God is. And now it's like, I do it because I have a morning devotional and that's just what you're supposed to do. It's not as intense as it once was. Or even when we're, when we're singing and praising when you first got saved, you're, I know for myself I was so grateful for what God saved me from and where I was going that I was so thankful. I, I gave God everything. I praised. I worshiped. I cried most Sundays or any time I sang worship in my own time. But it's really easy just to come to church and guess what? We all sing because this is the part of service where we sing a couple songs and you leave it at that. It's very, very easy to get into that routine and relaxed relationship with God. And that's where the problem can start. That's where temptation creeps in. And we can find ourselves like David in these moments where it's easy to dive right into sin. And it's funny because we're a lot similar because for David, the same eyes that looked up to God for mercy and guidance and for help when he was being chased are the same eyes that were glued to a married woman. Isn't that crazy? The same mouth he used to praise and sing songs to God and love him and and be light to people was the same mouth he used to tell his servants to bring him the woman that was married. Are we really so different from David? Are we really different that the same eyes we use to read God's word 
are the same eyes that can be glued to watching things we know we shouldn't be watching. But it's okay because you're behind closed doors and no one is watching, right? God's still watching. The same mouth we use to lift up God's name and sing when we're in church and praising him and loving him and and singing his praises can be the same mouth we use to lie, to gossip about other people, cuss people out. It's crazy, right? And why is this? Do we look at it and say, this is just normal? Or do we desire to actually let the Holy Spirit illuminate that in our lives and look like, man, I need to push to get closer to Jesus because this is not right. And we have this ability to choose that, but it's, what is the thing? Why do we do that? Why do we, we struggle with different things when we know the right thing to do? Well, guess what? We are all in this personal civil war inside of ourselves. It's called flesh versus spirit. We all deal with it. And our spirit man is the one that wants to do what God wants. We want to glorify God. We want to love people, be there for people, give to missions, whatever, be kind, smile, whatever. But our flesh is our animal instinct behavior of the strongest will survive. I need to step on people to make sure I win, I get what I want. So we're constantly in this war and you don't have to feel alone. Because if you look at Paul in the New Testament, right? Paul, who was probably one of the greatest missionaries ever on the planet, wrote so much of the New Testament. He dealt with the same thing. The struggle is real. He said it, and I'll paraphrase, or paraphrase, paraphrase. I'll paraphrase Romans 7. He said that he doesn't even understand his own actions. He says, what I want to do, it seems like I can't. But what I hate, I seem to do. You ever feel that way in your life? Like, oh, I want to do this, but I just, ah, I'm doing this, and I'm living this way, and I hate it, and I can't stand it. What is wrong with me? Why am I struggling so much? And it's because sinning is very natural due to our flesh. And for this, I want to give a short little sermon illustration to further explain this. So can I ask David and Benny to come up, please, really quick? You can give them a hand if you want, or just let them walk (laughs) silently, whatever you'd like to do. Can you hand me that, Benny? Thank you. I got small hands, so I have to be careful. Y'all can just stay down there. It's all right. For the sake of this illustration, this ball represents sin, okay? So for everything that we're doing, this is going to represent sin. Now, sinning is natural, and it's kind of like learning how to catch and throw a ball. Like, Benny, who taught you how to catch and throw a ball? Your father, you got gloves? He is ready. He's like, you want me to do the sermon illustration? I'm ready, bro. That's awesome. I love it. So your dad taught you. Who taught you how to throw and catch a ball? Your dad, too? Isn't it funny that the people in our lives early on that taught us how to do very helpful things, like to throw and catch a ball or, or to do good things, are oftentimes the same people in your life that taught you how to sin, that taught you what it looks like that there was a moment in your life where something clicked and you finally understood a fraction of this is good and this is evil, and you saw that same person that taught you so many helpful things teach you how to lust, teach you how to cheat, how to lie, how to gossip. And it starts becoming natural in our lives. And so since this is sin, and it's just like catching a ball, When sin is coming at you, it's either someone sinning against you or you're being tempted. So go ahead and just catch that real quick. Someone sinned against you, you're dealing with temptation. 
right? And so you, like, you learned how to catch the ball, and guess what? Now you're going to sin against someone else, because, or you're going to tempt someone else. And then now you just go back and forth, just for a couple seconds. Look how natural this is. They've learned how to sin. They have learned from someone what it looks like, how easy it can be, and now it just becomes this easy routine. It can be something that we learned early on that we don't even recognize. We barely even recognize that we're catching the ball. It's just so natural. Really recognize we don't have to use that many muscles to throw it, right? Now, catch the ball and hold it for a second. Now, when this situation happens, we have an option to hold on to sin in our lives. We can hold on to it. And it looks like a lot of different things. Someone sinned against you, and, and it could be like David in these moments where temptation came in and the lustful thoughts came, and instead of like David, like he could have turned his head, he kept, he had his, fixed, his eyes gazed and fixed on Bathsheba. He was not going to turn his head, so it starts to fester and fester, and the sin boils up. Or it could be someone sinned against you and was rude to you or offended you in some way, and you're just holding on to it. Just hold on to that, Vinny, and like, let it fester, man. Get that grudge going. Like, can you believe what they said? And they talked about your mama, too. Are you serious? That just turns into something serious. You're like, I can't believe you did that. Whatever it is. It can even be, like, with temptation, like, say you're out with friends and you've had a couple beers and you know one more beer is going to put you over the edge. And so you have that thought. You're thinking about it. You've got that peer pressure around. Everyone's around you. It's okay. Just do it. And you're like, oh, I have that choice. I have that choice. And we can choose to hold on to it and let it fester and boil up to the point that, guess what? Now we're going to fall into temptation. We're going to sin. And it becomes easier for us to help others sin, to sin against other people, to tempt other people to where it becomes natural. But something happens when we become Christians that helps us fight this animal instinct. Now, when we become Christians, go ahead and throw it one more time. That's all right. Now, when we, be, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit inside of us gives us grace and mercy to fight this cycle. To stop making something that seems so easy and calming something that we can fight against and ask for help. And we have that ability through Jesus' blood to set it down. Set the offense down, set the temptation down, and just be done with it. God, I don't want to be involved with this anymore. I don't want my flesh to constantly beat me down and me constantly sin. I don't want to do the things I hate. So you have that ability to pray and seek God, and you can drop it down. Now, did you forget how to throw a ball? Did you forget how to catch a ball? Did you forget how to throw a ball, even though you're not catching it right now? It's not that the sin goes away. It's still there. You can all see it, right? Maybe not in the back. But everyone up front can see the ball is still there. Sin is not completely void once you're a Christian. You still have that opportunity. You still have that ability, right? But you can ask for God's grace to help keep it down and not get involved in it. But the trouble comes because sin doesn't leave. And we see David... He was praising God, and, and for the longest time, he's just worrying about surviving and giving God grace and glory. But now that he's comfortable, guess what? He sees the sin. He sees the temptation, and he has that opportunity to now sin comes right back. And though it may seem unfamiliar, he says, I haven't done this in a while. This seems weird. It could become really natural again to the point of what he does with Bathsheba and what we do when we jump into sinful lifestyles again. So now you throw it back, and then he starts sinning against other people, and we start tempting other people. And now 
because they're throwing it back and forth, you would never think they ever set it down because now it's so natural. And you can find that point in your life as a Christian to where maybe there was a point in your life where you were serious and you were like, God, I'm done with this. I'm done with this filth. I'm done with these evil actions. And you put it down. But it's so easy because the sin doesn't leave and it has to be a constant relationship between you and God so that when you get relaxed, you can jump back into this vicious cycle. And it's like you never stopped. Does that make sense? All right, you can go and set it down. Thank you. Give them a hand, guys. They did awesome. I'm really glad they didn't drop the ball. I had something extra in case they did, but I'm glad I didn't have to use it. <laughs> you never know. So now because of that illustration, the sake of it, how easy it is to just get into the routine of living a sinful life, now we can see how easy it was for David to choose to let his flesh overrule his spirit. And we had that same option, but now look at to the extent that he went to cover up his sin, and we'll dive into how we go to that extent to cover up and hide our sin as well. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11, please, starting at verse 8. We'll read 8 and 9, and then we'll jump to verse 13. So starting at verse 8, Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So David is trying to get Uriah in this moment to go sleep with his wife so that it covers up what David did. And maybe it can just be swept under the rug. Now verse 13. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. That is cold, man. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. It can be so easy to learn to hide our sin. It's so easy to learn how to hide your sin. I remember before I got saved that I just, I lived a wicked lifestyle, guys. I just, I, I did everything wrong. I lied, I cheated, I put myself above other, other people, and I had no shame about it. I didn't care who saw me living whatever way because this is my life, and who are you to judge me? Get out of my face, right? Basically, that's the kind of stance. But when I got saved, something changed, and now I had a conscience that was directly from God, and now I'm feeling convicted over these things that used to seem so normal, and now I'm like, ah, oh, I do not like this. I don't like this. And because of this, at first, and even as a Christian in your life, maybe you can relate that because of this conscience, because of this guiltiness you feel, that you don't want all the things that you struggle with to be seen by other people. You don't want people to know. So when you're a sinner, you live however you want, whatever, but now you know there's a standard, and you're like, oh, I really don't want to let you know. I really don't want to be honest and let you know what I'm really dealing with. Because we all struggle with different types of sin in our lives, but being honest, we don't want people to know. Because if we were honest and we let other people know, then we would have to be one vulnerable and transparent. And we can all have those experiences in our life when we were vulnerable and transparent and we got hurt. Anybody? 
Were you real and honest and then you got hurt? So because of those past experiences, that keeps us from asking our brothers and sisters in Christ to help keep us accountable. And it can be so easy to put on a show in front of people. You know what I'm talking about. When the doors are closed, when no one is around, when Pastor Matt's not around, maybe you're a little different, or you watch different shows. You don't always think, like, God's right here with me watching the same thing I'm watching. It's very easy to put on that mask. And maybe for you, the Sunday church guy that comes dressing up fine and you feel good and you can sing worship songs, that's a mask you have that's very different from the Friday night guy or very different from the work guy. And it can be so easy to just create all these different masks and be whoever we need to be in front of different people in a very negative way. But the danger in that, in hiding our sin, can best be explained by Jesus. And he called the religious leaders and he said, you know what, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. He said, from the outside, your masks, they look really good. You look really good. Everybody wants to be like you, rabbi. Pharisee. Everyone wants to look like you. You dress well. You get all the nice greetings. You sit at the head of everyone's table. When you pray, everyone sees you. Everyone, oh, he's got it all together. He said, but the danger in doing that is because inside what you're really hiding is dead bones that are just rotting away. And you are broken and you are dying inside. You think you're okay because you're putting on this front, but in reality, you're not. Your relationship with God is so fake, it's not even real. Can we as the body of Christ actually be honest and stop hiding what we struggle with? Do we honestly think that the sin we struggle with is so unique to us? We can think that, and we feel that way. No one really understands what I'm dealing with. But I guarantee you, whatever sin you have in your life that you struggle with or, current with or struggle with currently, if you raise your hand and say, does anybody else deal with this? Three quarters of the church would raise their hand. Yep, me too. I didn't know. For real, you deal with it too? Me too. You struggle with someone slamming on your brakes and you want to give them the finger? Oh man, someone else deals with that too. You're not the only one. We all have those different sins that we struggle with. But how long do we think we can hide these sins from each other or especially from ourselves? How long do you think you can hide it? Can you do it forever? Can you always hide those sins and keep them in the dark forever? What does Jesus say about it? Let's go to Luke 8, verse 17. and It'll be thrown on there. Jesus says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Your sins will be exposed eventually, whether you like it or not. And that can be scary, and that can sound scary, but all the mask you're trying to hide and all the hiding and secrecy and sweeping things under the rug, it's going to be exposed. Especially if you claim that you are a follower of Jesus. He's not going to allow that stuff to stay in your life forever. He's gracious with us. He helps us, but he will expose it eventually. We can't hide it forever. So we have to start by being honest about the sins we struggle with first to ourselves. Knowing, going, getting alone with God. Like, God, I struggle with this hard. I've dealt with this for a long time. I'm not telling anybody about it. God, I need your help right now in this moment. Whether it's lust or greed or whatever. 
whatever it is. It could be a plethora of things. Whatever the Holy Spirit's convicting you on, you have to be honest and ask him for help. And you also need to find someone trustworthy that gives biblical advice. You need the body of Christ. And I'm not saying go and just ask someone to be your trash can where you're like, ah, oh, blah, 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 I vent, I vent, I tell you everything, oh, thanks, and just walk away. Not give them the opportunity to help you or grow. Because a real person that's going to help you and keep you accountable is, guess what? They're going to challenge you at the same time. You're honest with them and tell them. Maybe they dealt with it. they like, okay, really, to fight this, you need to do this and stop playing games. You've got to get serious about your walk with God. Man, don't do that. Don't tell me how to live my life, man. It's so easy. And we go back to hiding. Because we really, do we want the truth all the time? Because it hurts, man. It hurts, that sin being exposed in our life. It's so much easier to hide it. So how will we fight this war inside of ourselves? Will we let the desires rule us, or will we choose to rule them? And more importantly, how will you help someone else with their battles? Maybe you find yourself, you're like, you know what? Really, my relationship with God is growing. I'm in a good place. I'm not doing things out of routine. I'm not doing things out of habit. I'm really growing in my walk with God. Good. Guess what? Not everybody is. There are people out there that need you to encourage them and need you to lift them up. I remember in Afghanistan, we, my squad, we, we ran gun truck teams. And so I was the guy in the turret with the gun, and then I had the driver and then our truck commander. And before missions, before anything happened, we would hype each other up. It was like stupid funny, some of the stuff we would do. But we were ready, like, yeah, you ready? Not everyone would be ready that day. Like there was some days I was dragging, they're like, come on, man, drink a rip it. Anybody drink rippets? Anybody? Maybe army guys know what that is, military guys. Your energy drinks, whatever. Here, have a monster. Come on, bro, you got this. We're ready, we're gonna do it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I am ready, let's go. You're so pumped, you're like, thanks, man. That's what I needed, let's go lock and load, man. And so you go out and you push yourself. Now, can we do that spiritually for each other? We can do it in wartime. We can do it for each other when we put on the uniform, but can we do it for each other spiritually? Can we have that same camaraderie as the body of Christ? Because my squad, we were going to do everything together, no matter what we were up against. We had each other's backs. Can we do that as the church? Look around right now, beside you, behind you, in front of you. Turn your head. Don't be afraid. It's okay. These are fellow soldiers in Christ. This is your army. This is your squad that God has blessed you with right now. In this moment, this community, you have each other's backs, so we have to have each other's backs. You wouldn't see in wartime that you'd see your teammate or a member of your squad be pinned down in a foxhole and just be crying like, I can't move, I can't do anything. What would you do? You would go and suppress fire. You would help them out. You would drag them out if need be. Why won't we do that for each other spiritually? When we see other people really struggling, you notice that God's highlighting their life, they're coming to you, they're struggling with sin. It is beating them down, it's beating their family down. Will you fight for them? Will you get out of the comfort of your palace for one second and help them get down where it's real and dirty and they're struggling and maybe you can help them out. You can help them overcome the sin that is plaguing them and their family. Amen? Amen. But it starts with ourselves. You can't truly, I can't really help you fully to the best potential possible if my relationship with God is super weak. I can only do so much. So it has to start with us. 
You can't help someone, oh, you're struggling with lust? I can help. Well, guess what? I do the same thing. So what, what real knowledge do I have? What real wisdom do I have when I'm not even fighting the same thing he's trying to fight? That's not helping. That's the blind leading the blind. It starts with us. It starts with the sin in our life and asking God to expose it. And it's not that you have to be perfect to help you, but you need to make sure Jesus is priority of your life before you start trying to reach out and be Jesus to someone else. He has to lead you. He has to guide you, and he has to fill you up so you can be the vessel and servant that he is calling you to be. Amen? We have to beat the secrets in our life. And Paul puts it like this. I'm paraphrasing 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says that he disciplines his body and he keeps it under control. Like he beats it into submission. My body will not rule me. I rule my body. And in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. My mind doesn't even control me. I control my mind. Jesus controls my body and he controls my mind. To perform physically, to pass the PT test or whatever, to run marathons, guess what? You train, right? You train, you prep your body, you do the work, you do the exercises, you stretch. So when the marathon comes or whatever, you're not like, I'm not even ready. I was not ready for this. You train for it. Same thing for passing tests. To pass the test, like, you need to study the book. You need to read the material. You need to know. You need to memorize. You have to prep for it. So, why am I saying this? Because to live godly, we have to practice godliness. Always. By thinking on things that are heavenly and true and living it out. By pushing our mind and our body and soul to be like Christ. So when the temptations come and you face it and the sin comes to destroy you, that you can destroy it before it even begins. You'll be able to discern evil before it has invaded your mind and your heart and your character and your lifestyle. Can you imagine what it would look like if most of us would take that amount of energy we use to hide our sin and actually strive to be like Jesus? What would the church look like then? If we were really honest and we really pushed ourselves, pushed our bodies, disciplined our bodies, disciplined our minds to be like Jesus. That's the Acts church. That's what that looks like. And look at David's response when he fell deep into sin against God. He tried to cover up, but he got exposed and, and he completely messed up. But look at how he responds to God in Psalms 51. And we'll go to verse 4. He says, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When we sin against God, our first response should be to confess our sin. Step number one, let God know, God, I'm sorry. I so messed up. And if you look at David, it was funny as I was reading this, you know he broke half of the Ten Commandments in this one instance. 
commandments 6 through 10, he completely threw out the window. God's laws, God's commandment, the same God that he is, he is striving to be like a man after God's own heart, the apple of God's eye, just threw out half of God's laws that he was given. David had lied. He'd taken what wasn't his. He impregnated another man's wife and then ha- had that guy killed, even though he was loyal. And yet David's greatest regret, even though he sinned all these things, was that he sinned against God directly. That's what he knew. We have to recognize that although we seem to hurt others or tempt them, we are really at the core sinning against God because we are all made in his image and we are created to reflect him. And even if it seems like sins in our life aren't hurting anyone and they're done in secret, guess what? They're not. Because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And even sinning against yourself is directly sinning against God. All sin is directed to God. It's all done against God. And David truly recognizes this. He broke God's laws and took the entire situation to his own hands. And if you read in verse 5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Like David, we can recognize that we're born into a corrupt world. We can all agree with that, right? This world is messed up. This world has problems. Evil and corruption is everywhere. Yes? Okay, you can talk back. Awesome. So, even though that's the situation, and even though we, ha- we can have deeper inclinations towards different sins, right? Like maybe I struggle with lust more than you do. Maybe you struggle with drinking more than I do. It doesn't mean that, that because that is the way it is, that there's no excuse for us. Because we live in a sinful world doesn't give us the excuse to live a sinful life. Do you get that? Because we live in a sinful world, it doesn't give us the excuse to live a sinful life. There's no excuse in Jesus' eyes. Because of what he did, because of his sacrifice, because of his blood, he is giving us that power and authority to defeat that sinful routine, to jump back into it, to when temptations come, he's given you the strength through the power of his Holy Spirit to say, no, I will not do that. So there is no excuse. But what if you're like, Lord, it's just really easy for me to do that. Or look at everybody else. They're sinning really bad. I'm not sinning that bad. Are you really that mad with me? Well, do you want a personal relationship with Jesus where he actually talks to you? We can't look to other people around and have them be our standard. Jesus has to be our standard. So to that point, we are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to Christ. And as we grip with the terms that we're held accountable, it pushes us to say what David said, create a clean heart in me. As we confess our sin, we ask God to forgive us and make us new. God, I messed up, messed up bad. I need your help, and he will help you. But true repentance is coupled with obedience. That means you know you're struggling with this, so the next time it comes up and you're tempted again, it's God, help me now. Don't do it again and just keep living in that habitual sin. And when you do it, like, I'll ask God for forgiveness later. God, forgive me. Okay, thanks. And I do it again. God, forgive me. That is not repentance. That is not biblical repentance by any means. Amen? Amen. We have the privilege as sons and daughters of God to ask him for help in those moments. And the beautiful reality of Jesus is that when we truly confess our sins before God and seek real forgiveness, he is gracious enough to forgive us. We don't have to live in guilt and shame and hopelessness. You are worth it in Jesus' eyes. Know that. You are worth it. 
You don't have to live in that. He does love you, and he will forgive you, and he will accept you back. And because he will forgive you, does that mean we have to forgive others that sin against us? Is that the reality of it? it? Does that mean that no matter how bad someone treated you or sinned against you, that God desires that you forgive them and that you even, I dare say, love them? That's the reality of what it means to follow Jesus. And that doesn't mean you have to be close to that person or put yourself in that line of fire again, but you do have to forgive them. That's a commandment from Jesus himself to love our enemies and forgive those that curse us. And a great indicator to let you know personally, if you've forgiven someone, is can you pray a prayer of blessing over them? When you think of that person that sinned against you, can you say, God, please help them, love them, guide them in this moment. I know they're struggling. Or is it when you think of them, you're like, God, you know it would be really cool if you just took them out. <sighs> I love them. I think I love them. But, man, it would be really cool if they were just gone from this earth. That's not real forgiveness. But we, we've all had those people, right? Am I the only one? I've had people in my life that I was like, oh, it'd be really cool, Lord, if they would just vanish from the face of the earth. And I didn't. then I could forgive them. Yeah, because they're no longer in my life. They're no longer around. They're no longer messing with people. But that's not what Jesus calls us to do. And if we want to be like Jesus, can you imagine hearing him say, when you sin against him, when you do something, that he comes to you and he's like, you know what? You just sinned too hard this time. I will never forgive you for this. I'd take the wind out of you a little bit. Think of your Lord looking at you. I will never forgive you for what you did to me. But yet he doesn't. He doesn't. He will still forgive us. As long as there's breath and you ask and seek real forgiveness, he will completely forgive you. But because he will do this, our goal is to fight the sin before we act up on it. And David sought forgiveness and received it, but he still had to deal with the consequences of his sinful choices. He lost the baby. That baby died. And because of his sin, the Bible explains that, that two chapters later, his daughter was defiled. And later after that, his own son Absalom tried to take David's kingdom from him and push David on the run again, like he was running from Saul again. And to the extent that now his son died. Because of his sinful actions and his choices that he made, he had to deal with those consequences. Don't sin and just expect to confess it to God. That's where you, ah, oh, please forgive me, but I'll go back and do it. Please, because when you're doing it, when you're sinning, there's a ripple effect that is happening. Not only in your life, but in people around you, in your family, in your situation, at your job, everywhere. There's a ripple effect that sin has. And so there are intense consequences for the sins that we commit. So let God expose the secrets and keep you from having something to hide in the first place. That's the goal. It's not just, ah, oh, please forgive me this time. It's God, when that happens, give me the strength to break it before it even crushes me. That it won't destroy my life. It will not destroy my family. I don't have to deal with this again. Push to grow with God so that you won't be filled with regrets and what ifs. What if I'd finally let it down? I'd finally stepped away. What would my, look, my life look like if I would have done that 10 years from now? Instead of 10 years later, it's, man, I really wish I'd have dealt with this sooner. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. 
That's smcchurch.net.